0: You are listening to the Lenses Podcast from Shades Mountain Baptist Church, engaging the world through the lens of the gospel. For more information and resources, visit shades.org lenses. Good evening, friends. It is great to see you this evening. Happy spring break to all of you. Thank you so much for celebrating. Yes, we got a good laugh. Thank you, Adam. Uh, thank you so much for celebrating your spring break with us. Uh, is Ray in the room? I think Ray snuck out. Today's Ray's birthday, and so I was going to recognize him for his 30 years on this earth. Congratulations, Ray. We'll celebrate him when he gets back in. Uh, We're so excited to have you tonight. Thank you for being here uh, to lenses, We have a special guest. Dr. Josh Reeves is our speaker tonight. He's a professor in the science department at Sanford University, and he is a good friend of Adam Plants, uh, which is how we connected to him. He is doing a talk uh, here tonight, two talks, and then he was telling us he's going to be he and a colleague or six weeks over at Dawson after this. So he is a great contributor to the local churches and having these kind of informed discussions. And so we are thrilled and honored to have you tonight, Josh. Um, We're going to start by reading scripture together and I'm going to pray. So if you could let us stand and read from Philippians chapter 4 verses 8 and 9. We're going to read aloud together. All right. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for who you are, for what you've done. Father, we thank you that you are the God of all creation. And all of creation does cry out of your glory. Uh, I pray, Father, that you would guide our conversation tonight. Thank you for Josh and for his willingness to lead us. Uh, Father, as we think about technology and how it also cries out your glory. uh, Guide us tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. We'll hear you gladly.
1: All right, thank you for having me. Um, I, am, s- s- I am celebrating my spring break with you, actually. This, uh, this week is spring break for Sanford, and I'm glad to be here. So Jacob asked me to think, talk, think with you about technology, to think about it from a Christian perspective. How is there a particular Christian way to think about technology? At first glance, you might think technology and christianity they might not have a lot in common or a lot to discuss so what is your dishwasher or your your microwave or your car or any of the other conveniences of modern life maybe your smartphone what does that have to do with being a christian we might think of technology as neutral it's kind of like a hammer you can use it to build a house you could use it to attack someone so the technology itself is use, is neutral. It's just a question of how you as a Christian or as a non-Christian employ the technology. So in that way of thinking about things, there may be not a lot to think about in terms of just the technology itself from a Christian perspective. But then there's another way of thinking about technology in the Christian tradition. One way that feels wary of technology. Technology is something to be worried about. And the best example of this, as you might think about this a little bit longer, is the Amish. The Amish shone many of the technologies that we use on our everyday life. So living in Kentucky for a few years before moving to Birmingham, I never got old seeing a horse and buggy going through the the middle of the street. You know, it was like a flashback to maybe 150 years ago. And actually, the Amish are not always anti-technology. They, they can use the phone oftentimes, you can use farm tools, but all technology needs to be vetted, needs to be worried about from the spec- perspective of the Christian community. Is it something that's going to lead you into t- temptation? Is it going to be something that distracts you from the community, from the mission that God has called us to do? So, of course, there are dangers in technology. I would not want to downplay that. And actually, next week, will be, that will be the topic. But tonight, I thought it would be good to talk about technology as a gift from God, as a good gift that God has given us. And I want to argue tonight that there's something about technology and the way that we employ it that helps us be aware of God's image in our lives. So what do we mean by technology? I'm using it tonight in a more broader sense than you might think of. It's not just computers or iPads or digital things, but it's tools that we use to extend human abilities in the world. So in that sense, you could go to a primitive society and they might have stone tools to build houses or to crack nuts for their food. And that's a technology. They're, used, they're extending human abilities. But it is especially modern life, the life that we live now, that's bound up with technology. You can't live in the modern world without being pervaded by this technological constructions that we've made. So as researching for tonight, I found this quote that I think really captures uh, kind of the revolution that's gone on in technology the last 150 years. And there's a little bit, I had to adjust it for my age, so I'm 40. Just think about that as you, uh, as you read this, or as I read this. When our parents were born, not so very long ago, there, were n- there was no information technologies or television companies, and airline travel was rare and luxurious. Our grandparents were born into a world even more different than today's, where television had yet to be invented and there was no penicillin or frozen food. When our great-grandparents were born, there was no internal combustion engines, aeroplanes, movies, or radio. Our great-great-grandparents lived in a world with no light bulbs, cars, telephones, bicycles, refrigerators, or typewriters. And their lives probably had more in common with a Roman peasant 2,000 years ago than with ours. In the relatively short period of 150 years, our lives at home and work have been completely transformed by new products and technologies. So, technology is everywhere. It's part of the modern life. And it shapes the way that we s- perceive the world, the world in which we move and operate. So, up until the year 1500, historians tell us, most homes didn't have walls with, to with divide the house into separate rooms. Up until the year 17, most houses only had one bed where the whole family s- slept together. So our very sense of the privacy of what it meant to have alone time is shaped by the technologies of the modern age, the ability to go to your room and have separate, separate room to, from the rest of the family. It's also shaped the way we buy things. Before the Industrial Revolution, most of the things we buy were handmade. They were made by a craftsperson. But now, the world where we buy objects, they're identical to each other, oftentimes. I go into the parking lot trying to find my Honda Civic, and I have to take a while to rem- remind myself where exactly I parked, because there's nothing really to distinguish it from all the other Honda Civics. So we are living in a technological civilization that shapes the way that we perceive ourselves and it shapes the way we react with each other we how we relate to each other how we structure our days imagine trying to live the day without electricity without light to do work at night it shapes the way that people in the modern world have families with modern birth control technology is everywhere and it's accelerating The phone in your pocket has as much computing power as all of America did in 1960. So we have questions that this raises for those of us who are Christians. If technology is accelerating, how do we make sense of this from a Christian perspective? And also, how do we make sense of having our faith as an ancient faith? We follow Jesus who came 2,000 years ago, but what, how does that make sense in a modern world? So and what I'm claiming or what I'm arguing for is that we all Christians need a theology of technology. We need some way to understand the goodness of technology that God has given to us. So I would say the first step towards a th- theology of technology is that technology is bound up with what it means to be human. We're not If you compare us to the animal world, we're not the fastest, we're not the strongest, we're not the fiercest, but we have rationality, and we have the ability to make tools. In fact, we have the ability to make tools to make tools. Now, there are animals in the animal kingdom that do use some tools. Uh, Some primates will, for example, get termites out of a mound by putting a stick in, or there have been polar bears who have been seen to throw chunks of ice to to kill seals. But technology is a crucial part of what it means to be human, of being rational in this world. And because technology is bound up with our humanity, you can find it everywhere in Scripture. Key theological concepts in Scripture use technology to expound what it means to... for what it means to have the Word of God, for example. In Psalm 119... Verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The lamp is a metaphor for what Scripture, the role Scripture plays in our life. Or think about Ephesians 6 when it talks about putting on the full armor of God. The pieces of armor are used as a metaphor to describe our life as Christians. Everywhere, technology is bound up with what it means to be human and are found many places in scripture. It was also bound up in Jesus' experience of what it meant to be human. We think of Jesus as a carpenter, but the actual Greek word that is translated carpenter is actually tekton in Greek, from which we get the word technology. And it does have a broader sense of being a builder or an artisan. So Jesus' own life was shaped by technology and the buildings that he grew up under his father building. And you can see that sometimes in the parables that he uses, like the burden of his yoke is light. He's using analogies of the technology around his culture to make sense of, to explain the Christian faith to his followers. So technology is bound up with what it means to be human. But I think another step, and a crucial step in thinking, having a theology of technology, is to recognize that technology sh- for us Christians should create an attitude of thankfulness. So oftentimes we think of technology as related to distraction, like you know, playing games on your phone or whatnot. But most of technology down through our history, a lot of our technology has been used to alleviate pain and suffering. Think about the lifespan maybe 500 years ago in, middle, in the Middle Ages. Up to a third of children, historians claim, died by the age of five. 20% of women died either in childbirth or in the immediate afterwards. If you made it through childhood and you avoided wars and diseases, you might have a life expectancy of 40 or so. Death was everywhere. Suffering was everywhere for our Christian predecessors. Even up to the year 1900, the average life expectancy in the world was around age 30. So those are stats. They can seem quite abstract. So let me give you a more concrete example of the suffering that our Christian ancestors went through sometimes because of disease. So one of the clearest examples, the most talked about examples, is the arrival of the Black Plague, the Black Death in the Middle Ages. So it was around the year 1347, and a ship comes into harbor, an Italian harbor, and the soldiers are clearly ill. They have big black boils on their skin. Many are dying. And so they immediately try to put the ships out to keep the disease away, but it was too late. Historians think that the fleas on rats had gotten off the ship and were starting to spread the disease across Europe. Historians estimate in the next four years, up to a half of Europe was dead. The closer you were to Italy, it could actually be higher than that. So imagine yourself as a Christian during this time. It would seem like the end of the world. Petrarch, a uh, famous Italian writer at the time, this is what he wrote of going through this experience. He says, In the horrible year 1348, we are losing not only of our friends, but people throughout the world. If anyone escaped, the following year mowed down others. Has what happened in these years ever been read about? Empty houses, decaying cities, ruined estates, Fields strewn with cadavers, a horrible and and vast silence encompassing the whole world. Consult historians, they are silent. Ask physicians, they are stupefied. Seek the answer from philosophers, they shrug their shoulders. Furl their brows, and with fingers pressed against their lips, ask you to be quiet. Will posterity believe these things? When we who have seen it can scarcely believe it? Oh, happy people of the next generation who will not know these miseries and most probably will not believe our testimony as a fable. So if you know anything about this time, it was, it was horrific for those who had to, li- to live it. At the first sign of symptoms, oftentimes, they would take you to your house and when they would put limber, uh, timber over the door to make sure that you couldn't get out and they would come back in a few weeks to see if you were alive. As a result, Christians oftentimes didn't know what to do. So during this time, there was the flagellant movement that that emerged uh, responding to the Black Death. And what this meant was, is that Christians often would think that because death was everywhere, because it seemed like the end of the world, perhaps this is just sin and suffering. And if we could just show God we are sorry enough, then God would stop with the disease. And so they would line up in town, often naked, and they would go march through town with rods, with sharp stones at the end, and they would hit their back as they went along, creating blood as a way of sacrificing, of showing God that they are sorry. Now, from our perspective, it seems a lot like doing, trying to do works to try to appease God, but having some empathy for the helplessness that it must feel when half of your city is dead, there's got to be a quite helpless feeling. So I think the lesson for us Christians who live today is to recognize what a lot of our Christian predecessors had lived through and to have an attitude of gratitude. When it talks about in the New Testament, always be mindful of the blessings we are given. And in all you do, give thanks to the God the Father through Jesus Christ. So we all go through dark times. Living in a technologically advanced civilization doesn't stop us from going through hard times. But having an attitude of gratitude for the blessings that technology gives us does, I think, change our attitude. In fact, this past week, my daughter was sick five days from school during my spring break, which I was really ready to get a lot done. Thinking about this in context, we had modern medicines, we had steroids to give her, we had antibiotics, we had asthma medicine. The, the the suffering that I went through is nothing compared to the suffering of many Christians before us. So, an attitude of gratitude is a for the blessings of technology. I think is an appropriate response for Christians. So that's a general example. Let's also. Think about how technology impacts our faith in the actual practice of our faith. Christianity has always been a technology, is a, been, always been a religion of the book. It has been intertwined with the technology of the book. In fact, the Bible itself is an example of the technology of the time. So around the time of Jesus, oftentimes the way in which books of the Bible were written down, were in scrolls. So you can actually go to Luke 4, and Jesus gets up in the synagogue and opens up the scroll and reads it. Well, towards the end of that century, around the time the New Testament was being written, there was a development in the technology of books. Actually, they were called uh, codex, which are actually a lot like our books. But now you could, have, you could lay the, play, the pages flat. You could write on both sides, You could have a hard cover around it so it's easier to carry around and it's not as fragile. It could be much smaller so you could take it like on missionary journeys. So scholars look back and look at the formation of the very Bible that we have and recognize how much it's intertwined with the technology emerging around the time of Jesus. But having said this, most Christians down through time were illiterate. They did not have the ability to read. And books, you were dependent upon someone to copy the book down, so it was quite expensive. And you know, being human, c- copiers can make a lot of errors. So when you look down in your Bible and you see in the footnotes oftentimes alternative translations, it's because sometimes we have uh, these ancient manuscripts that say this, and sometimes we say this. Well, that's a, a copying error created by the person who was trying to copy the Bible for that day. And so sometimes it's hard to determine which one is the, the right reading. So imagine when Gutenberg comes along in, in the 1454 and brings the printing press, what that means for Christian faith. So now you have type that you can move around. You can create um, any infinite number of pages and you take in some ways like a wine press and you press the paper down to create a hundred copies, a thousand copies as many copies as you want the Bible became standardized, it became cheap to own a Bible and in fact there's a lot of really interesting thinking about like why the what the printing press does to uh, the Christian faith and not and just the English language so for example a lot of the weird Pronunciations of words like the word knee. Why do we say have a K in front of uh, in the word knee? Well, at the time of the printing press, you would say "knee," right, like you say in Dutch and German. It's only because our, our pronunciation has changed over time, but the word spelling has remained the same. So the printing press kind of locked in the language and kind of changed the English language so we had one type of. Uh, less variation in spelling. But this had a really big influence on Christianity. So before the time of Martin Luther, if you went to church, the emphasis was on communion, about the Eucharist. The priest would give you bread and wine, and the priest would likely not be facing you and saying words in a language you didn't understand, Latin. To understand Bible stories, it's often you had to look at the paintings on the the walls of the chapel. So along comes Luther. Martin Luther, he he was born 30 years after the invention of the printing press and entirely changed things around the idea that everybody should have access to the Word of God. The, The Bible should be translated into the language of the people and everybody should be taught to understand it for themselves. This is only possible because of technology. The whole Church service was oriented around the word now. People preaching the word, speaking the word. It was an entirely different church experience after the Reformation, made possible by print technology. Martin Luther, historians have said, was the first bestseller. He was the J.K. Rowling of the day. He was the, had the ability to get his message out far and wide because of the, the printing press. So the relationship between the Word of God that we ha- all have access to and the increasing amount of literacy among the people of the church and the increased religious knowledge is all made possible by a new technology. And in fact, it was around this time when we started putting chapter and verse in, that's Before this time, it was not common in the Bibles. So the very way that we practice our faith as Christians was impacted by the technology of the time. And so it's interesting to think about, for much of the last 400, 500 years, technology has moved not that much in terms of text, but now that we're in the information age, it does seem like church experience is changing again where if you go into a large church like Shades Mountain, you have video projectors and you have PowerPoint presentations. The, way, the very way we experience church is, is changed by technology. So I think people will look back and see another inflection point around our time period about technology in, human, in church services. So, how do we connect this then to a a theology of technology? I think the first thing to say, technology is part of our God-given mission here on earth. Before the fall, in Genesis 2.15, for example, Adam was placed in the garden to work it and take care of it. The purpose of humanity was to rule, to have dominion, to have stewardship over the world, And our ability to create and use technologies aids in this process and is one of the key attributes of what distinguishes us from the rest of creation. In other words, we are God's representatives on earth, commissioned to care for the earth in a way that reflects God's own character. And this mission carries on even after sin. So one of the first things that God does after the fall is to create Clothing for Adam and Eve. Clothing is a type of technology that allows you to thrive in the world. Out of grace, God gives leather skins so Adam and Eve can cover up. Then a few chapters later, God gives the exact dimensions of the ark down to how many decks it has, to how many cubits long it should be, to what type of wood it should use. God is telling Noah To use technology, in some ways, as a pious act, as a way of responding to God's invitation. So, technology is a part, I would argue, of our current mission as Christians on earth to be stewards of creation. Our mission of being fruitful and multiplying, filling the earth and subduing it, is made possible by our ability to use technology. and it's this stewardship that helps determine for us as Christians what is good technology. I mean it's very clear that there's some types of technology that don't that distract us from our God-given mission to have stewardship. There's some technology that can be used to rule others to to tempt others. But the idea that God has given us a mission on this earth f- forms a criteria a something to measure up the way we use technology. Are we using it effectively? Are we using it for God's glory? So in short, technology needs theological guidance. It doesn't serve very well on its own. It often becomes its own God. And I would argue, and this is not something I'm saying new, this is what many Christians have said down, Christian theologians have said, technology reflects what it means to be made in the image of God. So humans are made in the image of God. and Have you ever thought, why does the creator, the the omnipotent creator of the universe, need six days to create creation? In some ways, what God is doing is he's showing us how to take care of creation. He's providing a model for us on how to take care of the earth, how to subdue it. So just as God creates out of chaos order, so because we're made in the image of God, I would argue we often can make order out of chaos in our own lives with technology. Whether it's through creative acts, like being an artist or technology, fixing engines, it is that ability to create order out of chaos that reflects our God-given nature being made in the image of God. So I think this is often why in the modern world, when we have jobs where we're not creative, where we can't actually take the product of our own hands home with us, whether it's because we have a desk job or whatever, it's often important to have hobbies where you can work on engines or you can do artistic or creative outlets because that reflects God's given nature inside of us. so as being made in the image of god our use of technology reflects the way god has made us before the before sin came into the world so there's all sort of questions that this leads to about a theology of technology so questions i think that would help i know that we'll have time to sit around after this but how does How does your own faith influence by technology? Imagine living 150 years ago. How would your faith be different from it is now? What tools, how does technology help you? Whether it's, is it listening to sermons on the radio or on the internet? Is there something about technology that aids in our discipleship in becoming more like Christ? There's also questions of how do we know when technology has gone too far? And I'll say a little bit about that next week. But the, the question of technology, once you have a strong theology of technology, then I think it helps you discern when technology helps extend the kingdom of God, it helps in your own spiritual life, and when does it distract. And then another question that technology raises As technology is increasing so exponentially, what are some things coming down the road? What are technologies coming down the road that the church can take a proactive stand on in terms of either heading it off or actually using it to evangelize the world for the gospel? So I think it's important for Christians thinking about technology always to have their eye to the future as a way of thinking about how they can engage technology in a productive way for the kingdom of God. So I would argue in conclusion that technology is a gift from God. It's made possible by being made in the image of God. When it's used to further our responsible stewardship of creation, it is a good thing. It is a gift that God has given us when it brings about the elimination of suffering in, our, in ourselves, in our families, or in our neighbors, it is a good gift from God. And therefore, as Christians, we need to appreciate and be, have gratitude for what the gifts that God has given us. Thank you very much.
0: Uh, that was a technology failure. Uh, thank you very much. I got one laugh. That's very good. Uh, we have t- uh, plenty of time for questions for Josh. I would love to hear some. Uh, I'm, I have a couple, and I imagine you do as well. Um, anybody want to start us off with some Q&A?
1: Great. Hey. Hi hey, President. How are you? Good. Good. Um, why... In, in twenty seconds, why are Christians or religious people in general traditionally uh, resistant to technology? There are certain type of technologies like television that I think especially for earlier generations have definitely have the ability to shock Uh, especially when you see values that don't reflect your own values on television. So I often think because television has had such an impact on our life and our culture that that is often one thing that people often think about technology or the internet and the harmful ways that the technology of the internet can be used uh, to hurt people or to degrade people. But I think those sorts of technologies are only one small aspect of a, hard, a, a large set of, of technology that guides modern life. And so I think having Christians having a theology that affirms the goodness of technology, the way it reflects human na- nature as created by God, I think actually helps you to have a better conversation with those about technology, what it's good for and what, when it har- harms people. Great question.
0: I, uh, Josh, you are welcome to punt any of these questions sure. if you don't like it or if you're going to cover it next week. Okay. Because I, I know that some of this is going to come up next week. Adam, I see your hand. Can I ask one first before you or – <laughs> okay, so I have a question, and it's very specific to me being a minister, so it's yeah. personal, and if you want to punt, you can. But uh, So uh, we have a number of young professionals in the room wherein I teach the Sunday school class and will tell them to read their Bibles, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we also recognize that that's a very relatively new creation. Like the quiet time wasn't possible until the technology of the Gutenberg Press, which you uh, yeah. ably demonstrated. Do we get a pass for some things that are now a part of the Christian life now, like that, uh, that wouldn't have been around in the first century church, how does God view those kind of things for us? If you could speak on behalf of God, that would when be fantastic. When you say get a
1: pass, what <laughs> well, do you mean like, by well, getting mean a like,
0: pass? I mean like if I were going to be very cynical, I could say like, all right, if we want to be an Acts 2 church, I can be illiterate and not have to read my Bible and that be enough because that's what the disciples were. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm being only a little bit tongue-in-cheek, yeah. uh, but is that any clearer?
1: So, in some ways, you're asking, does it create a theological problem that we have access to literacy in ways that our ancestors, or predecessors didn't? I mean, it depends, in some ways, on your orientation. So, I think... There is an orientation in theology to think that the New Testament had it all perfect and that we are just falling away. If we could just get back to the New Testament, everything, all our problems would be solved. Well, if you actually read pretty closely like Corinthians, the New Testament church had a lot of problems on its own. There are a lot of issues to be worked out. And so I would say just as Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to lead the church into truth, God is patient to bring the church around to a fuller understanding than maybe our ancestors did. Like I think, I have no problem saying that the church should always stand against slavery, but that is something that it took a while for many of our Christian ancestors to come to grips with. How how to read the Bible, uh, how to have a good solid Christian argument against slavery. So from my perspective, I see in some ways even though it's, the church does make mistakes today, I also think there's room to recognize that, that, that Jesus is leading the church somewhere. And there is a final goal that, that God is leading the church to. And so for me, I don't see it as a problem that we have access to tools and things that help our spiritual life more than our ancestors had.
0: It's a great answer. And that's why all of you should read your Bibles. Great. We're going to go to Adam and then to Ray. Uh, hey, Adam.
2: Hey, Doc. Hey, Adam. Okay, so you know in Jurassic Park where Jeff Goldblum says, we got so busy wondering if we could, we didn't decide whether we should or something like that? Yeah. For example, in our life currently, there are genetically modified foods where you can uh, have golden rice that has vitamin E, which helps prevent childhood blindness or drought-resistant crops that can be grown in Africa all of which can be used to alleviate human suffering. Mm -hmm. And you've got, for example, um, alternative reproductive technologies where people who otherwise wouldn't be able to have kids made in the image of God can, right? Could you give us some helpful guidelines for um, discerning how these technologies can be used in a positive way versus a negative way, just, you know, in the, the thumbnail sketch?
1: That will partly be the burden of next week's talk, but I will say, oftentimes with technology, it's very difficult to have a one-size-fits-all answer, because sometimes technologies can be great to. You know, the same reproductive technology might give the ability for life for for some couple, but it also could be used in ways that we would may find objections to, so. The question is, how do we find that li- that line in the sand between what's good technology and, and that's not? And often I would think that it's a judgment call by Christians, by instead of, because there's a lot of situations that have not been explicitly addressed by Scripture, we have to trust that we have been formed by the Holy Spirit, that we have Uh, taking on God's character. And because we have that ability, because because God is living in us, we should hopefully have the wisdom to use technology responsibly. And so I would say that it's the burden of the church to help think through these issues together as a community, to come to some sort of Maybe consensus might be too strong, but some good, solid wisdom, some discernment on these technologies, and so I think more than anything, a theology of technology needs to be able to address these sort of questions. Otherwise, in forty years from now, when you know twenty percent of the population is modifying uh, the DNA of um, and a fertilized egg so there's higher IQ or some other thing. The church has to be able, able to think about these issues beforehand to have some sort of sense of what the natural limits are and what, and what are not. I think for a lot of Christians, the natural realm is the natural, going with what is natural is the right answer. But the problem is that gets a lot of tricky, right? If If we were supposed to fly, God would would have given us wings would be the response, right? We do a lot of things with technology that we weren't supposed to do, but God uses that, I think, gives us gifts that we're able to alleviate suffering. So it is an extremely complicated answer, but I do think it's... Needed that the church be aware of this, the whole church, not just the ethicists down at Sanford, the whole church needs to think about this because there's, given the rate of technology, a lot of these questions will be pressing more on us than, sooner than we realize.
0: Ray, we wished you happy birthday when you stepped out earlier. So I want to wish you happy, th- the 30th birthday. That's a big one. That's exciting. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.
3: So, yeah, thanks for, for the things you, you've shared so far. Um, I think I, I wanted to sort of expand a little bit on on this uh, question that uh, that Jacob and Adam asked. Um, so so here you were talking about, for example, reproductive technologies or mm-hmm. f- genetically modified food or, or wings, like you said, you know, things we were not supposed to do essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think in in both cases you. You answered with this tone of, "Well, the Holy Spirit is actually letting us know more things that perhaps we were we needed to know, mm-hmm. at you know, say at the New Testament time or something." Mm-hmm. So I wanted to see if you could, ex- if it is possible, if you think it's advisable to expand this into the area of ideas, because, for example, um, technology. Generally, sometimes leads to new ideas that were not present before. Like, for example, uh, there was a time we couldn't count to a million. So the concept of a million didn't exist mm-hmm. or even a billion. So today we can talk about a billion stars. We can talk about a billion years because we know that concept which came to us from technology. So um, there are... For example, there are many things that we, we tended to um, associate with the immaterial soul. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, ability to make decisions, uh, personality, sin, uh, uh, sadness. And and yet today, you know, technology basically shows us chemical reactions in the brain that are happening, that are related to love, to sadness, to fear. Mm-hmm. and And so... There are some new ideas being injected here, and I, I was wondering if you could talk about the impact of this on theology, the impact on our spiritual life, how you, you see, what kind of recommendations you would uh, help us in that area, ideas, new ideas. Yeah. The,
1: yeah. So I, w- I would definitely agree with you about new ideas. I think technology, that's why I said in the beginning, it shapes the way we perceive the world. It's not just a neutral thing, whether I can use it or not. It actually shapes the the world, the mental world in which we inhabit, the the way we think about the world. So I would agree with that. A lot of the questions about technology, I would say in the world of ideas, oftentimes in science, it, it has to do more with the science, the ideas of science, more than the technology of science. Um, And what I would say is, for example, often times science can give us technology even though the theories behind it can change. So for example, you can, with Newton's gravity, theory of gravity, you can shoot rockets to the moon, but even though we don't really believe that it's exactly correct. Or you could say we have the idea of radio waves even though the theory that gave us radio waves isn't sort of correct. And so the question is, what's pushing on christian ideas is it the technology or is it the interpretation given by science of the time of the of the technology and so i would i there's no doubt when technology like if we can develop a technology that can just touch a part of your brain and give you a spiritual experience that will change something in some way but there's always multiple ways of interpreting it and so the question I guess it's a, it's, it's a long way to say that's it's really complicated how technology pushes on the ideas. Um, I think in terms of the neuroscience, I think there's some things that science is really good at. Um, I think there are some things about discovering brain chemicals and reactions. But the question is, translating that into a whole theory of uh, of what it really means about human nature that's, I think that 's really difficult and still a little bit I know people want to go there, but I still feel like it 's a little bit premature that 's how I would answer just the, the neuroscience bit of it, but that might be something worth poor talking about
4: i think <clears throat> I think technology has enhanced our all in admiration of god 's creativity. <clears throat> We can see the blue skies, the rolling seas, the magnificent mountains, the beautiful sunset and our eyes recognize God's creative order. But technology has allowed us to see the microscopic Mm -hmm. and we see things that man prior to the microscope didn't know existed. Mm -hmm. Technology has allowed us to see the heavens or the space. And astronomers are now increasingly becoming more and more aware of what an expanding universe is Mm -hmm. and how galaxies and nova and all take six million years for their light to get here. Mm -hmm. So technology in the discovery of the DNA and how it works, I think has enhanced man's awareness or awe or admiration of God saying he spoke the world into being. Mm -hmm. But more than what we could see at one time, now we have been able to experience the magnificence of this total creativity. I was a microscopic anatomist at the medical school and looking at the microstructure of the human body and how it has been assimilated from, as you said, a single cell and its division The creativity and the magnificence of what your tissues look like at the microscopic level and how they work is nothing less than astounding to Mm -hmm. the average person. And um, I think technology has enhanced that all of God's creativity.
1: I, I think that is well said. I totally agree. You know, oftentimes that the heavens declare the glory of God. But now with the telescope, we can take just a little pinprick and blow it up and see, you know, millions and billions of galaxies in that little pinprick. Right? The the majesty and the all of creation is—I uh, would agree—is revealed by technology.
4: Um, I have a question, and I would like to know: What do you see, say, in the next twenty-five years? as the technology that the church is going to have, I guess, the biggest challenge with?
1: Um, I think my, my guess would be genetic alteration. Um, I think the last few years from what I've read that that technology has accelerated with things like CRISPR, uh, the, the, that technique for changing genes. And so when you get to a point where certain maybe maybe not in America at first, maybe other societies people are choosing certain aspects of children, whether for i q or for other aspects, to get ahead in life, this creates a real dilemma right you want to you want to give your child every opportunity in life, you send them to the best schools you can and everything. but then when you see other people who making choices that you wouldn't make but getting ahead in life because of the alterations that may happen at the genetic genetic level that would that's going to create a problem for the church and so if that happens then the church will have a decision about whether how to think through this issue and how to be a christian in a world where technology can allow you to modify human nature to some degree
0: that's great and then adam's gonna ask the final question
2: I've got one more question based on what you just said. So, like, other than the ick factor, what's the difference between what you just said and LASIK?
1: And lazy, what do you mean? LASIK, like the eye surgery with yeah. lasers. Um, the difference is, is that you are creating, you're changing the genetic structure, which changes all the generations that would follow for that for the children. So you're actually, in some ways, changing human nature itself as opposed to waiting till a baby is born and changing something which will not necessarily be passed on. So I think that's the significance and the stakes uh, would be high. But then, I mean, you could see this technology using it to alleviate suffering. What if there's a lot of suffering in the world that you could alleviate? You know, you could alleviate baldness or something. That, I've, you know, I've suffered some from you know, from that, you could, where's the line there between, you know, suffering and not suffering. And so that's going to create real problems, I think, if the technology pays off in the way that some people are predicting.
0: Josh, thank you so much. Let's give him a a round of applause and appreciation. Uh, You got some questions from some of our heavy hitters, Josh, and you've them very well. Great job. I, I was intimidated for you. I'm teasing. Uh, We're going to now move into a time around the table where we talk about some of these things. Um, We, I loved hearing you say that the questions... Uh, That are being asked we need to bring to the church and it's kind of the place here tonight uh, To do that and so i'm thankful for uh, for your all willingness to have these conversations The questions we're asking one another tonight uh, david if you could put those up we're gonna go ahead and uh, There's these four here questions number one four nine and nineteen There was also a question that josh asked at one point that I'd like us to discuss as well, uh, how is your faith shaped by technology? If possible, oh yeah, that's the the cue at the top. Oh, wonderful. Uh, If we could start with that one, I think that's a fantastic question. So I've asked David to throw that up there. Uh, And we will uh, will close in prayer in about uh, 10 minutes or so. So we can now move into our time of discussion. Thank you very much. All right, friends, we're gonna wrap up our time. I imagine your discussion was as lively as ours. A great topic to talk about. And I'm really thankful that we got a chance to do it tonight. We're going to close by standing together and reading a closing prayer. Do please come back next week as we continue this conversation. And also the curses of technology. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father. God of love and mercy. Grant us wisdom to live, speak, And do all things for your glory. Amen. Have a great night.